Welcome to Lead Today with me, Kalina. Let's talk leadership. Well, hello and welcome back to this series on the book of Proverbs. We continue today with chapters 21 to 31. I really like the way that this book progresses and this entire series has meant a lot to me. Actually, I'd love to just remind you of one of the phrases here from this book, and it says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. Seek his will in all you do, and he will show you which path to take. I love that because I think there's so many times in our lives where we're just looking to make decisions. We want to know the right path or the next step or how do we do this? How do we get through? We sort of, we're seeking, we're seeking answers. And I love that we put trust in the Lord and don't have to depend on our own understanding because it's so limited and there's so many things we don't know. So with that, let's, let's trust that my notes are sufficient and I do this justice. If you're liking this series, I will invite you to please review, like, subscribe, share it with others. It all makes a huge difference in me being able to continue this work. And if you'd like to buy me a coffee and donate to the show, that's also an option. All the links are in the show notes and it means a lot to me. I'm actually pleasantly surprised with the, with the, uh, I guess, response to the series on the, on the podcast, very new to the video side of things on YouTube. So I hope you're liking the videos. I know they're a little bit basic because it's just me talking. I don't do all the cool animations that some people do, maybe, maybe in the future. So for chapter 21, uh, we really start out by saying the Lord judges your heart. So your intentions, I take this as, and the person you are. So if you're living with this thin veneer of superficial niceness or um, really anything, I guess, if you're being superficial in your approach and your core intentions or your heart isn't pure, then the idea that maybe you fool others isn't really valuable, sounds like. And if you do right by the Lord, that's greater than any sacrifices that you offer him. So I don't think the, I don't think God is really looking for us to sort of give things up to him or try to sacrifice things in a direct sense. I think it's through right action that we're, we do let's say that we follow the, the way of God. And that's really interesting to consider because sometimes I think it feels like all the things we shouldn't do, especially in this book. I mean, there's a lot about wisdom and how we should behave and should, should, should. And sometimes that feels constricting maybe, but really I think it's, I think it's giving us where to focus and what sorts of actions are good not just for God, but really for us. And we feel better as a result. So that's sort of an interesting thing that I noticed. Um, Also getting wealth honestly versus in a deceitful manner really speaks to the fact that it won't stay, it won't last. And that it sounds very doom and gloom in the book, but really I think it's just saying, hey, if if you get wealthy by dishonest or shady means, then there will be consequences and they might not be in terms of your wealth, but perhaps in the way that you live, there's actually one part here where it says it's better to live alone in the corner of an attic than with a quarrelsome wife in a lovely home. And so I think that also translates where it's like, it's so much better to have peace and solace, even if that's with a loving family, but rather than being rich and with a partner that doesn't love you or is really argumentative, angry all the time. If you're angry all the time, it's not a good home, even if you have a mansion. So riches alone, I don't think bring that peace and the true happiness that it is that we're seeking in life. So some people go, especially if I, in men, I think historically, but women as well, I think we go toward um, material wealth as a means of success and gaining fulfillment and feeling happy in life. And really time and time again in this entire book I think we're hearing that hey um again here wealth created by a lying tongue is a vanishing mist and a deadly trap so 
the idea that it's sustained, the idea that you're fulfilled by it, the idea that you feel good about it. Again, I think back to this idea of um, a thin veneer and beyond, if possible, beyond God. But if you, if you become a bit just maybe selfish, but you think about yourself, it doesn't feel good for you even. So I think we do have this internal compass and litmus test that's really telling us what's okay and what's not okay. And we don't even need to read this book, although it's very lovely. I think we feel these things are so deeply ingrained. We feel when we're doing something wrong and we can shrug it off for a certain amount of time, but our conscious, our conscience really does come knocking. And I think we do feel that guilt and that shame. So and remorse perhaps. So I think it's interesting that this book really just emphasizes the things that we already somehow inherently know in our hearts. Another one here around mocking people. So don't mock people is the idea. Also don't ignore the poor. So pay attention to the poor. In the Bible, of course, they talk about tithing. So giving 10% of your income to a church. There are, of course, other ways to support. I think less fortunate individuals that are going through perhaps a hard time. Another one here, and we get into this in, in next chapters as well. Justice is a joy to the godly, but it terrifies evildoers. So again, the idea that if you're on the up and up, if you're doing things correctly, then there's nothing to fear, but you'll have restless nights and not feel well if you're living a dishonest life or disingenuous life, an angry life. And I mean, that makes sense, right? Anytime we're trying to get, get out of something or get over something, and if we're not true to our morals and being honest or being upright about things, it brings us anxiety, it brings us nervousness, often doesn't end well either. So they emphasize again about living alone in the desert is better than um, with a quarrelsome complaining wife. So suppose we're also saying here, choose your partner wisely right? Which we all sort of know. And I think that's where there's a bit of hesitation in recent times in North America, at the very least, where in perhaps Europe as well, Western countries and places where we can say that, oh, marriage is unnecessary or why marriage? And I think that this is exactly why people are worried about it. They would rather be alone than be with someone that's quarrelsome or somehow detracts from or stresses them out. And yet, well, it might be something to think about. It's not saying don't get married. <laughs> it's saying choose wisely. And I think that if we keep that at the forefront of our minds, we can pick someone really who we really do get along with and that enriches us beyond measure. So here we have again, whoever pursues righteousness and unfailing love will find life, righteousness and honor. So it's in the pursuit of these things. No one's saying you have to be perfect. The idea is that when you embody, we see this later on when they talk about lazy people or foolish people. When you embody someone that's on the path of righteousness, someone that's pursuing honesty and good spirit, following the right path, being a good person, you can be that and you can be a fool in your lifetime or even in the same day, perhaps. And the idea is not, not that you're one or the other, but when you're acting, it's sort of like different identities we take on. When you're acting in the way of the fool, here's what's going to result. When you're acting in on the path of the righteousness, when you're approaching that, when you're following that, when you're going toward that, things start spiraling upward and going well. So here the wise have wealth and luxury, but fools spend whatever they get. So we do get a bit more money advice here about saving and, and being mindful about money. A little bit more about lazy people. As I mentioned, despite their desires, the lazy will come to ruin for their hands refuse to work. So there's definitely a lot of advice here around work ethic and being, being a strong worker. Another interesting one here that I thought we might look at and we've talked about this already in the series, is no human wisdom or understanding or plan can stand against the Lord. So again, kind of like the, the first little excerpt that I shared with you at the beginning around, you know, God's will always prevails. And I mean, we can plan as much as you want, but we see that, right? When things are just out of our hands and we can only do so much. And I think it's learning which part is our responsibility and which part we give up to God. We release control of, we 
I suppose, surrender to what's bigger. So th- to me, that's the kind of question in my life is, okay, well, it's saying work hard. It's saying work. It's saying be diligent. It's saying follow the right path. Be honest, be good. And then it's also saying, you know, don't try to control everything. You don't need to have all understanding. God's will prevails. And so there's this balance that I think, and, and that's really wisdom, <laughs> is knowing that balance, not figuring out, okay, which parts are on me, and then when do I let God take it from here? And I think we see that actually, interestingly enough, in nature. We see it when we plant gardens. We see it with pregnancies. Um, we see it with health outcomes where you can do so much. You can get medical treatments. You can water your garden. You can do all you can. And yet those outcomes, there's so many things that are just out of our hands when we plant seeds in a garden or we plant seeds in our business or we plant seeds. I think it's about planting seeds and watering them. And then some of the plants grow and some of them don't. Some of the opportunities grow, some of them don't. Some of the, some of, let's say in an illness, some people um, persevere and move through, others don't. And it's, it's a wild ride right this idea of life but I think that's what we're looking at here is planting seeds being our duty tending to them being our duty but the results and what the outcomes if we've done what we can to tend to our garden of our lives um that's sort of out of our out of our hands so that's my understanding so far in chapter 22 we've got choose a good reputation over great riches which is interesting And we do talk about the rich and the poor a lot kind of going forward. Um, A person who gets ahead by oppressing the poor or by showering gifts on the rich will end in poverty. So a lot of sort of don't ignore the poor. Somebody that gets rich is someone that's going to tend to or be mindful of or direct resources to the poor. The rich and poor have this in common. The Lord made them both. And it does it does talk about um, and this is the sayings of the wise in this chapter. And it really does talk about don't favorite don't have favorites in the sense of we're all not necessarily hmm, this could be controversial (laughs) Um, we're not all the same but we come from the same place and we are all human so we do have similarities in that sense at least in that we we all deserve dignity we all deserve we all deserve our basic needs to be met and to be respected for for being and and I think we see a lot of this this sort of people sorting themselves on a on a hierarchy based off of power or social hierarchy socioeconomic status and not 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 say that's bad um but it doesn't necessarily it doesn't mean that you should treat people that are not in your category poorly I think that's what we're looking at here there are different levels of high of power and different socioeconomic status in our in our society, in different countries, different parts of the world, but just because they're different and just because they seem like levels, I think we get confused about the fact that just because they're different categories does not mean one is better than the other. And that's the problem that we see certain living conditions, certain ways of life we see as better than. And that's inherently problematic because we all come from the same places. We're hearing here, the Lord made them both. So we've also got in this chapter, apply my heart, apply your heart to my instruction, for it is good to keep these sayings in your heart and always ready on your lips. So here in this sayings of the wise are 30 sayings filled with advice and knowledge. Um, Don't rob the poor just because you can or exploit the needy in court. Essentially, the Lord is the defender of anyone that is weak or challenged at this point in life. They talk about widows, orphans, um, or poor people. Anyone that is needy, exploiting them is just wrong, which we see a lot in the workforce with minimum wage and all the challenges with sweatshops and things. And so it's an interesting conversation to be had right about are you treating your workers well if you have a company of employees how are you treating individuals that work for you or clients or individuals in your community that are needy it's very interesting and we do see a lot of positive too right with different social programs in different ways shelters and i think a huge focus 
I actually argue for the past 30 years, so long time on homelessness and what we can do about it and conflicting views in some places do better than others. Um, interesting to see how Switzerland and other countries in Europe handle the problem challenge versus North America. Um, but just to say not to exploit those groups, I think is quite clear and that the Lord will defend them. We hear a lot about being hot-tempered and also not running your mouth or cheating your neighbor. Um, there's also a piece here, again, and we heard about this in previous chapters, but don't agree to guarantee another person's debt or put up security for someone else. If you can't pay it, even your bed will be snatched from under you. And we hear this, right, in, in the mortgage crisis and houses being repossessed, cars, possessions, foreclosures, debt is... And it's interesting because if you listen to Dave Ramsey, who does financial advice, he, he really does share about how he's Bible-based. And I think it shows because we hear again and again in the book of Proverbs that debt really is the enemy because anything can be snatched from you when debt collectors come, come knocking. So in chapter 23, we're hearing about being in the company of others and not to envy them and to be very wary about anyone that is seemingly generous but is stingy. So if someone's giving you something but it seems like it's reluctantly, don't take it or don't associate with them even, don't eat with people who are stingy, don't desire for their delicacies. They're always thinking about how much it costs. Eat and drink, they say, but they don't mean it. You will throw up what little you've eaten and your compliments will be wasted. Again, we hear about not cheating your neighbors, we talk about committing ourselves to the instruction and to listen carefully to words of knowledge. There's another one here that I think we've heard before too. Don't fail to discipline your children. The rod of punishment won't kill them. Physical discipline may well save them from death. And I think it's, so it's a little bit interesting, right? Because of course, nowadays we talk about that and okay, let's say during my childhood, I mean, spanking was something that many parents engaged in. There was a lot more physicality. Now that's definitely frowned upon. I think that when we read this, it could seem like we're talking about a physical rod of punishment, physical discipline may well save them from death. I think that there's a spectrum, let's say, and perhaps we're also talking about physical as in removing them from a situation that's potentially harmful, really being one-on-one. -on -one. I think a lot of disciplining now with kids is, depending on the parent, I don't want to generalize, it's not fair, but I think what we're looking to say here is discipline your kids, they'll be better off for it, and being, let's say, stern or being very clear about the consequences of not following through with what's right, I think is what they're getting after here. So that's sort of this chapter. Um, this one is also interesting. <laughs> and we hear about this a lot. A prostitute is a dangerous trap. A promiscuous woman is as dangerous as falling into a narrow well. She hides and waits like a robber, eager to make more men unfaithful. Who has anguish? Who has sorrow? Who is always fighting? Who is always complaining? Who has unnecessary bruises? Who has bloodshot eyes? It is the one who spends long hours in the taverns trying out new drinks. Don't gaze at the wine scene, how red it is, how it sparkles in the cup, how smoothly it goes down. For, it end, for in the end, it bites like a poisonous snake. It stings like a viper. So two things here, right back to, and we heard this in previous chapters about promiscuous women. And of course, we've talked about superficiality. So not just women, but promiscuous ideas, actions, ventures, trying to one-up uh, let's say what's right and fair thinking we can get an easy win often doesn't end well and then into alcohol which we hear a few times really not being a good call and I can attest to that in my own life where really I'm better off not drinking and said and did things that I deeply regret when I was drinking and it's it's not to virtuous signal or anything here but just to say my own personal experience and seeing the experiences of my relatives 
and seeing the differences when some of them do stop drinking, whether it's health improvements, um, many of them, that I know, many people that I know stop because of their health issues. So often, because it's such an enticing, seductive drug, I think it takes something quite extreme to get people to stop. And that definitely was the case for me. And it was my, uh, my car accident where I sustained a traumatic brain injury. And it really, really kind of knocked some sense into me quite literally. And I think that there's something to that and people will drink themselves to death and it's unfortunate and it's not the way out of, I think, any anxiety, emotional challenges, hardships, stress reduction. It's really not the way out. Um, I get why it's appealing. I really do. Um, but I can say personally, I'm much better off without it. Chapter 24, we have more sayings. Um, if you fail under pressure, your strength is too small, which I think is the idea that you're not following a godly path. So the idea that your, your strength is too small, because if we're just relying on our own efforts, and we hear this often in the in this book, if you rely on your own efforts, you'll get so far, but you'll burn out. It won't be enough you'll feel burnt out I think is the right word um and fail under the pressures that come up in challenging scenarios and I can attest to this in my business I can definitely agree when it comes to um marriage and relationships of any kind my health I think when I just rely on myself and my efforts or my knowledge my understanding really really tough to overcome things that uh, show up so there's that uh, we hear that here the god the godly may trip seven times but they will get up again but one disaster is enough to overthrow the wicked doesn't necessarily mean you're evil but the idea is your intentions might be wicked you might not be showing up with righteous intentions uh, we hear here again it's wrong to show favoritism when passing judgment so a judge who says to the wicked, you are innocent, will be cursed by many people and denounced by the nations, but it will go well for those who convict the guilty, rich blessings will be showered on them, which is tough, right? Because of course, how do you know if someone's guilty or innocent? I think we can reserve that for the judges. I, I think overall it's saying perhaps we don't show favoritism and pass judgment at all. Um, talks about eating honey, which hey, I'll take it. I like honey. Um, and saying that in the same way, wisdom is sweet to your soul. You find it, you will have a bright future. So the idea is here, of course, that we continue to learn, follow, seek knowledge, apply it. it keeps telling us to listen. And I think that's why we see the repetition in, in different formats, different chapters again and again and again because we need that repetition. I mean, especially some of these concepts that, hey, you know, don't be seduced by the fair maiden, on the, not the fair maiden, the prostitute on the corner, don't be seduced. It's like, okay, got it. Then you're on the corner, then there's the prostitute, that alluring idea, that thing that's really enticing. It's like, mm, maybe it's fast food for you. Maybe it is cheating on your partner uh, or some type of adultery or just dishonesty in a relationship. It's enticing. So no wonder we have to read 30 chapters, 31 chapters, and again and again and again, be honest, be honest here, be honest there, be honest, be truthful, be real, be an honest worker, save, don't go into crazy debt. Again and again, we hear this because the alternatives are so enticing and we hear the alternatives a lot. We're exposed to the alternatives a lot. So I find myself reading this sometimes going, yeah, yeah, I got it, got it. I, you know, I read it. Okay. I'm, and if I, the more times I read it, it's like, okay, okay. But the core tenets are becoming ingrained, I think. And of course I go astray and we all go astray. That's okay. I think, but we're stepping back in the right direction. We're remembering what the direction is. The more we study, the more we pay attention, the more we look at what's put in front of us and make the right choice, the easier it gets, the clearer those right choices get. Um, the more we avoid the wrong choices, even something as simple or clear as the alcohol choice. I made that decision. I put my stake in the ground. I don't drink. And that's now become a part of my identity. In the beginning, it was weird. I definitely flip-flopped a little bit. I thought, okay, does this really, 
do I really need to do this? Yes, it's instrumental for my health as I saw the benefits. Of course, it helps that my husband doesn't drink. We just don't drink. And it's just something, no, we don't drink. And it, I think it becomes a part of your identity. And so in that same way, I think all of these tenets can become part of your identity if ingrained. And that's where talking about disciplining your children and having this be ingrained in your children early on, I think that's what they're getting at with that. And I think it's meaningful and, and makes a huge difference in your life if you review this material repeatedly. An honest answer is like a kiss of friendship. Do your planning and prepare your fields before building your house. Don't testify against your neighbors without cause. Don't lie about them. And don't say, now I can pay them back for what they've done for me. I'll get even with them. That's a tough one, right? Somebody frustrates you. We're definitely prone to getting back at them. Um, we hear not so immediately right here, but we do hear that essentially keeping your mouth shut is the name of the game. And I've definitely learned that to be true. Of course, the silent treatment or stonewalling is complicated. So if someone's really combating with you, they're really getting into an argument with you. You do want to be honest and set a boundary and step away from that. But I think this get even approach doesn't work. It might feel good in the moment, but you'll have remorse, you'll have guilt. I, I, I know the feeling myself when you try to get even with someone, the end result is just feeling crappy about yourself, about the person that you stoop down to some level, right? Sidebar, if you have a boundary in place, if you need to set a boundary and someone else doesn't like it and they say, hey, that's not cool. I don't like that, whatever. I don't think that's the same. And so again, we come back to the Lord knows your heart. What's your intention? Is your intention to get even? Is your intention to be hurtful? Or is your intention to be peaceful, shut your mouth and not say anything bad? And we hear, you know, it's quintessential. Like if you don't have anything nice to say, don't say it. Um, and that's annoying to us when we're frustrated, of course. Uh, but I think that that's exactly what it is that we're looking for here. What we're hearing here is be honest. Don't lie and be rude without a cause. And don't try to get payback because we'll just be remorseful. We hear a little bit more about being lazy. We see it when... Here, I walked by the field of a lazy person, the vineyard of one with no common sense. I saw that it was overgrown with nettles. It was covered with weeds and its walls were broken down. Then as I looked and thought about it, I learned this lesson. A little extra sleep, a little more slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, then poverty will pounce on you like a bandit. Scarcity will attack you like an armed robber. So we end that chapter with a reminder again to work hard in the right season when needed. Chapter 25, we have the Proverbs of Solomon, talks about being kind to your enemies and to be trustworthy. Also not to consume in excess. Do you like honey? Don't eat too much or it will make you sick. Don't visit your neighbors too often or you will wear out your welcome. Telling lies about others is as harmful as hitting them with an ax, wounding them with a sword or shooting them with a sharp arrow. Putting confidence in an unreliable person in times of trouble is like chewing with a broken tooth or walking on a lame foot. So it's giving us some comparisons here. Timely advice is lovely, like golden apples in a silver basket. Others may accuse you of gossip and you will never regain your good reputation. So as I said, trustworthy. So here, don't betray another person's secret. Be trustworthy, be trustworthy, be trustworthy, we hear here. Because... Well, your reputation's at stake, as well as, of course, being the neighborhood gossip just doesn't feel good. But again, enticing, right? Enticing when you've got a group of people talking crap about someone, really enticing to dive right in and, oh, this is what he, I heard, or I disagree with that, or I think this person is this, and tossing judgments out again. And we heard earlier that that's not it. So finding something else. Find something else we can talk about that's probably even more entertaining and more fulfilling to talk about. We are being told again, don't gossip and don't live with a quarrelsome wife in a lovely home. It's better in the corner of an attic alone. So 
choose your relationships wisely. And if your enemies are hungry, give them food to eat and water to drink. Again, that generosity piece. Chapter 26, we hear about lazy people and foolishness. So a quarrelsome person starts fights as easily as hot embers light charcoal or fire lights wood. Rumors are dainty morsels that sink deep into one's heart. Smooth words may hide a wicked heart, just as a pretty glaze covers a clay pot. So again, what we talked about earlier, the veneer, and you see it with people. Those smooth talkers that always say the right thing, that seem like they just got the right, that right answer, but you feel like they're full of shit, right? You feel like this is smarmy. It's kind of that typical used car salesman thing. You feel it from people. You feel it when people are not upfront. You feel it when they're putting on a show and we just hear them here again that that's not it. A proverb in the mouth of a fool is like a thorny branch brandished by a drunk. So there's wisdom in this, but you're not going to get the benefit of it if you're being foolish. And a lot of comparisons. Pro again, a proverb in the mouth of a fool is as useless as a paralyzed leg. Trusting a fool to convey a message is like cutting off one's feet or drinking poison. Don't answer the foolish arguments of fools or you will become as foolish as they are. So don't even engage. Just this is again, maybe where you set that boundary and you move on. And this at times could be friends, could be family, could be people that you're supposed to get on with. But if you don't, and if they're being foolish, you don't have to follow them down that path. You don't. No, it's not going to help them or you. I think that's what we're hearing in this chapter. Chapter 27, don't brag. Let other people sing your praises we're hearing. Um, Honey gets a comparison again, which is interesting, mentioned a few times. A, a, per, a, pe excuse me, a person who is full refuses honey, but even bitter food tastes sweet to the hungry. A person who strays from home is like a bird that strays from its nest. The heartfelt counsel of a friend is as sweet as perfume and incense. So again, right, heartfelt, heartfelt. We hear it from the heart. The Lord judges from the heart. Heart, like your purest intent. And your pure intent can be seen. And when you're around people with pure intent and their heart is pure, you feel it. And we know that we call it genuine. We call it authenticity. We call it somebody's vibe. All the same. And we're being told this here. We hear about quarrelsome wives again. As iron sharpens iron, so a friend sharpens a friend. Ooh, we like this one. Again, we're reminded it's not just the wife. It's also friends. If you get heartfelt advice from a friend, if you get... Um, you know, if you've got a sharp iron, it'll sharpen, the, the friend will sharpen you, it'll sharpen you up, so if you've got a successful friend, that's why we talk about associating, we hear this a lot, right, associating with good people, with successful people, with people doing what we want to be doing, the people that we associate with, we become, we become like them, it's inevitable, and that's why the partner you choose is so critical, it's why the people, the friends you surround yourself with are so critical, we hear it again and again, we need this because we grow up with certain people. We have coworkers, maybe we have family or acquaintances, people that sort of are in our networks that we see day to day. If they're not making us better, building us up, sharpening us, then they're not people to invest time in, not because they're bad, but because we need friends that sharpen us and we sharpen them up to who they could be, to those greater heights to their full potential. So I really like that one. As a face is reflected in water, so the heart reflects the real person. A worker who tends a fig tree, oh, as workers who tend a fig tree are allowed to eat the fruit, so workers who protect their employer's interests will be rewarded. So we hear this in the work context, even around honesty and being faithful and loyal, which we hear about with, of course, marriage and being a friend and a neighbor. So loyalty trustworthiness, honesty, these are core themes that I think we see in society as these ideals that we aspire to, and we're getting these examples here again and again. A, a little bit about work again here, um, and you will have enough goat's milk for yourself, your family, and your servant girls if 
You know the state of your flocks and put your heart into caring for your herds, for riches don't last forever and the crown might not be passed to the next generation. So, and to use what you have. So after the hay is harvested and the new crop appears and the mountain grasses are gathered in, your sheep will provide wool for clothing and your goats will provide the price of a field. So know the state of your assets, your affairs, and of course, put your heart into caring for your herds. Put your heart into your work. You hear the heart's important and, and that genuine care, that genuine attention, genuine work, genuine relationships. Put your heart into your efforts and you'll see success. And I mean, we see that with people, right? That's why we like people like Gary Vee and um, different pastors online, maybe Joel Osteen or Dave Ramsey in the financial space. We like individuals that we feel our heart based. We feel that our heart centered, that are coming from a genuine place to want to help, to want to share something useful, to want to help deliver whatever it is that they're providing to the world. They're genuinely trying to be useful. We feel that. That's what we get drawn to. And when we grow, when we get drawn to the other side, we don't feel as good. They're, we're drawn to more superficial things. We feel we want quick wins or these sort of trying to one-up other people or ourselves or find the easy way out. Not to say that being good can't be filled with ease in a sense, but there's, there's just a difference in pursuing something because you think it's kind of fast cash, this sort of, it feels greasy. It feels slimy. It doesn't feel genuine. Chapter 28, again, be honest um, we talk a little bit about governments here. So the moral rot, I really, this one was kind of shocking, especially with what we're seeing now with governance. When there is moral rot within a nation, its government topples easily, but wise and knowledgeable leaders bring stability. So we see in this book of Proverbs written when they're showing what government can do. And when we're in times of stability, we're in times of strong government. When we're in weak government, we have instability. The government topples. The, there's moral rot within the nation that percolates to the leadership. So there's more happening than just the leader being immoral, but really it's permeating and has permeated society, this immorality. Um, and it will topple and the idea that it will topple and of course, structure renews. And I think we see that with anything. We see that with the tree that maybe has poor water or soil or an infection of some sort and it rots and it dies and up in its place is reborn something hopefully more helpful. So healthy. Um, and so we hear this and I think it's really interesting to think about from the position of the government and leadership. Even if, if you're not in the government or you don't care so much about the government, um, but perhaps the leadership in your organization, the way you lead your life, your family structure, the leadership within your family, which is a little social unit as well, right? So if there's moral rot happening within your family, then that leadership is going to topple. There will be chaos within that system. So what else do we have in this chapter that I like? I, like, I mean, I could read all of this to you and there's just... Wisdom line after line, of course, but I'm trying to extract some, some points that really stand out to me. Income from charging high interest rates will end up in the pocket of someone who is kind to the poor. So this re, it's interesting, this redistribution of, of wealth and how we just can't trick wealth in the sense that if we get wealthy and it's not on good means, we will lose it. If we're wealthy by good means, we will want to give back. We will want to just redistribute to the poor to help others, to help others who don't have as much as us. Rich people may think they are wise, but a poor person with discernment can see right through them. So again, right, we're on equal footing. Be a good person. It doesn't matter what you have if you're rich, but you're a smarmy, rude, disingenuous person. It does not matter what you have. People will see right through you. The trustworthy person will get a rich reward, but a person who wants quick riches will get into trouble. Showing partiality is never good, yet some will do wrong for a mere piece of bread. Greedy people try to get rich quick, but don't realize they're headed for poverty. In the end, people appreciate honest criticism far more than flattery. And we've seen that, right? If someone's always giving you compliments all the time, it's like, what's your deal? Not because you're not good and not because you don't deserve them. But because it's too much, it's sort of laying it on thick, right? We have expressions for it. 
So that points to that here. Whoever gives to the poor will lack nothing, but those who close their eyes to poverty will be cursed. So we hear this again and again and again. Chapter 29. Accept criticism. If you read that again, we learn a little bit about leadership here again. And that we need to respect the rights of all. So whoever suddenly refuses to accept criticism will suddenly be destroyed beyond recovery. So people will tell you what's up. You got to hear it and accept it. And that's hard. It can be a blow to the ego. It can be painful. It can be something you don't want to look at. I get it. I mean, me too. But accepting that, seeing that, taking it in, maybe the way they give us the criticism isn't so great, but we can take it in and see what's, what's in there. Not just say, oh, they must be angry. They must be a bad person. They must be lazy. They must be bored. They must be just a keyboard warrior on Twitter. Okay, but what's behind it? What's there? What can I examine in myself? And then, of course, letting it go. And, and then from the previous chapters, not trying to get even or trying to get back. Letting that kind of roll off, and that's hard. But I think, I think that leaves us better off. Fools vent their anger, but the wise quietly hold it back. So we heard about this and holding our tongues if we can. The poor and the oppressor have this in common. The Lord gives sight to the eyes of both. If, the king, if a king judges the poor fairly, his throne will last forever. And we see this in governments that really take on this elitist mentality. You cannot govern those that don't feel respected. We need, both sides are important. People need governance and people need systems and stability, but it needs to be done in a respectful way, in a fair way. And I think that's, that's what we're seeing here. A just king gives stability to his nation, but one who demands bribes destroys it. So, and a nod to, again, staying away from prostitutes and disciplining a child produces wisdom, but a mother is disgraced by an undisciplined child. So really, this starts with the parenting approach. Discipline your children and they will give you peace of mind and will make your heart glad. Yep. Pride ends in humiliation while humility brings honor. So we know this to be true. Nobody likes arrogance. And again, we heard earlier to speak, allow others to speak our praises. So similar vein. If you assist a thief, you only hurt yourself. You are sworn to tell the truth, but you dare not testify. Fearing people is a dangerous trap, but trusting the Lord means safety. So, wow, already chapter 30. <laughs> so... Chapter 30 is the sayings of Agur. We've got pairs of four about the world. It talks about different things. He's asking questions in the beginning, saying, I'm weary, oh God. I'm weary and worn out. I'm too stupid to be human and I lack common sense. This sort of repentance. And then who but God goes up to heaven and comes back down? Who holds the wind in his fists? Who wraps up the oceans in his cloak? Who created the whole wide world? What's his name? Tell me if you know. Every word of God proves true. He is a shield to all who come to him for protection. Do not add to his words, or he may rebuke you and expose you as a liar. Oh God, I beg two favors from you. Let them have me, let me have them before I die. First, help me never let tell a lie. Second, give me neither poverty nor riches. Give me just enough to satisfy my needs. For if I grow rich, I may deny you and say, Who is the Lord? And if I'm too poor, I may steal and thus insult God's holy name. So some people curse their father and do not thank their mother. They are pure in their own eyes, but they are filthy and unwashed. So don't be too proud. Don't curse your parents. Honor that father, that mother. We know that from the, the holy commandments, the 10 commandments. Don't slander your employer or anyone else. The leech has two suckers that cry out more and more. There are three things that are never satisfied. No four that never say enough. This is a theme. So it says three, no four in a bunch of different ways. So this one, there are three things that are never satisfied. No four. The grave, the barren womb, the thirsty desert, the blazing fire. The eye that mocks a father and despises a mother. Instruction, mother's instructions will be plucked out by ravens of the valley and eaten by vultures. So we hear a little bit about three things that amaze. Agar. We hear about 
making the earth tremble, a slave who becomes a king, an overbearing fool who prospers, a bitter woman who finally gets a husband, a servant girl who supplants her mistress. Four things on earth that are small but unusually wise. Ants, they aren't strong, but they store up food all summer. Hyraxes, they aren't powerful, but they make their homes among the rocks. Locusts, they have no king, but they march in formation. Lizards, they are easy to catch, but they are found even in king's palaces. There are three things, no four, that walk with Stately's tribe. The king, oh sorry, the lion, king of animals who won't turn aside for anything. The strutting rooster, the male goat, a king as he leaves his army. If you have been a fool by being proud or plotting evil, cover your mouth in shame. As the beating of cream yields butter and striking the nose causes bleeding, so, so stirring up anger causes quarrels. Pretty much read you nearly the whole chapter there. And the final chapter, we're here. We made it. The sayings of King Lemuel. Hopefully I say that right. So the sayings of King Lemuel contain this message, which his mother taught him. So we're ending this way. It's saying not to drink. Again, we're hearing that um, let them drink to forget their poverty and remember their troubles no more. Speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves. Ensure justice for those being crushed. So don't drink. Essentially, it's got these. It's not for kings. Rulers should not crave alcohol. We hear that. Then we hear about speaking up for those who cannot speak for themselves and justice. Speak up for the poor and helpless. Make sure they get justice. Then we head into a wife of noble character. So we heard many times throughout the book, don't go for a prostitute. Go for the good wife. Don't go for the quarrelsome wife. You know, have a good wife. Well, how can one find a virtuous and capable wife? The final section of this book. And we're really described this woman. So I'd like to finish off by reading it to you because it's only a small little page and here's the visual. I haven't shown you any of them actually. So this is a wife of noble character. Who could find a virtuous and capable wife? She's more precious than rubies. Her husband can trust her and she will greatly enrich his life. She brings him good, not harm, all the days of her life. She finds wool and flax and busily spins it. She's like a merchant's ship bringing her food from afar. She gets up before dawn to prepare breakfast for her household and plan the day's work for her servant girls. She goes to inspect a field and buys it. With her earnings, she plants a vineyard. She's energetic and strong, a hard worker. She makes sure her dealings are profitable. Her lamp burns late into the night. Her hands are busy spinning thread, her fingers twisting fiber. She extends a helping hand to the poor and opens her arms to the needy. She has no fear of winter for her household, for everyone has warm clothes. She makes her own bedspreads. She dresses in fine linen and purple gowns. Her husband is well known at the city gates where he sits with the other civic leaders. She makes belted linen garments and sashes to sell to the merchants. She's clothed with strength and dignity and she laughs without fear of the future. When she speaks, her words are wise and she gives instructions with kindness. She carefully watches everything in her household and suffers nothing from laziness. Her children stand and bless her. Her husband praises her. There are many virtuous and capable women in the world, but you surpass them all. Charm is deceptive and beauty does not last, but a woman who fears the Lord will be greatly praised. Reward her for all she has done. Let her deeds publicly declare her praise. So, well, some of it might seem out of touch with the times, but I think this is actually an ode to finding a great partner they're sharpening you up. As we said, iron sharpens iron. I think they bring goodness to your life, not harm. They want to make your life better all the days of your life. They bring something to the relationship. They don't just take. They're constantly bringing things. They build a family with their partner. And the end here, I think, is really important. As we see so much superficiality, divorce, people having kids with multiple partners or kids with one partner and then leaving to go live a more exciting life, that midnight midlife crisis idea. And it's not to denounce any of that. I think everyone has their own journey. But I think that 
if someone gets married and they're making a promise for life, I think there's something really powerful in knowing that that person has your back and knowing that you have that stability for as long as you have them. And that partnership is so useful, not just because they're going to make your own bedspread and linens and make sure your house is warm or go out and work and sell things, but because of that honest partnership that you have and Charm is deceptive and beauty does not last, but a woman who fears the Lord will be greatly praised. So I think the final thing to end off there that I think is meaningful too, is that they, they do have that belief in God or that you share those spiritual, you share a hunger to walk a spiritual path, whatever that is, whatever path that is. If if you're not following the Bible, if you're not Christian, if you're whatever religion you are, I think it's just that you're in alignment with what path you're on. Because as we see, we've seen in this whole book, if you're on the one path and a friend or your partner who is arguably someone that's really, really going to impact your day-to-day life, if you're going like this, if you're on diverging paths, I think that's where it leads to challenge and sometimes that relationship ending or a really miserable one. So I think that it's sound advice to make sure that it says being Lord fearing, but really that that person is, is, walking that same path, wanting to walk the same path, continuing to turn toward that path of goodness, if that is the path that you ultimately want to be on. So I want to thank you for joining me today. If you enjoyed this, please do review, like, subscribe, share, comment, engage in some way so that I know you're listening and I have feedback from you so I can continue to make useful content. And I hope you really do have a great rest of your day and I'll be seeing you next week for more on the show. So take good care and talk soon.